It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with disability healthcare advocate and founder of the Chanda Center for Health in Denver, Colorado, Chanda Hinton. When Chanda was nine years old, she suffered a spinal cord injury due to an accidental discharge of a firearm. At nine years old, she was thrown into the traditional medical model, being told, here's all the secondary conditions you might experience, here's medications to manage those, here's a wheelchair, good luck. Chanda calls this medical model rigid, non-proactive, and non-preventative. And by the time she was 21 years old, she was very sick. She was bed-bound and weighed 59 pounds. At that point, Chanda was introduced to integrative therapies like acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, and physical therapy. She saw so much benefit from these therapies that it became her goal to make those services available to others. She'll tell us about taking it upon herself to go to the Colorado legislative body and get Medicaid in Colorado to cover acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic, proving to the legislature that providing integrative care would save them state dollars because individuals on Medicaid would be overall healthier and require fewer services. These changes were passed in 2009 and expanded in 2021. Chanda also founded the Chanda Center for Health, a 6,000-square-foot facility where people with disabilities get disability-competent health care. Chanda is an absolute rock star in the disability advocacy world. What she has accomplished astonished me. And her own personal story that she'll share with us today is shocking, both in what she survived and the steps she took to be at peace with the accident that caused her injury. This is an all-time great episode of the podcast. What an incredible conversation. Once again, I am absolutely thrilled to be sharing this conversation with you, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. I feel like we're on a real roll here on Major Pain. All of our recent episodes have been so incredible. I'm just amazed at the stories that our guests are bringing to us. And speaking of, let's take a look at what people are saying about last week's amazing episode with Tracy about central diabetes insipidus. This comment on Instagram is from Some Things Matter. Wow, wow, wow. What can I say? Tracy is so incredible. She went from Iron Man to being months away from death, yet still solving her own complex rare illness to become a patient advocate and overcame so much. Wow, what a story. Tracy, I wish you continued good health, or as good as possible health. You are so tough and deserve nothing but the best. Over on TikTok, Chris Coates comments, This one was absolutely terrifying. I am so glad she kept advocating for her life. Thank you all for listening, for engaging with this content on social media. It really means a lot. If you're interested in helping to support the show on social media, check us out on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Major Pain Podcast. As a content creator, I like keeping track of milestones and growth markers for the podcast, and we just passed one that really only means anything to me personally, but I want to share it with you because I'm excited about it. I started my podcast career back in 2015 with a podcast called Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury that eventually morphed into a podcast called Space Nerds, and I spent five years creating sci-fi podcasts for that podcast feed. And over the course of five years, it amassed about 36,500 downloads. This podcast, Major Pain, has been running for about two years and eight months. And this week, we passed 36,500 downloads for Major Pain. So this is now officially the most successful podcast I've ever made. 
by any metric, and it reached that level in less than three years. So as I said, this doesn't mean anything except for, you know, what it means to me. And it just fills me with gratitude that you are here, that you are listening, that people are engaging with this content, that people care to hear stories about people living with chronic illness and disability, and that I feel like I'm creating something that matters, something of value, and something that brings me so much joy. And today's episode with Chanda is a perfect example of that. This is such an incredibly fun conversation. I'm just having a blast doing this. So I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Your continued listenership means so much to me, and I'm so excited for what's to come in the future of this podcast. If you're enjoying this show and you want to help support it, one of the best ways you can do so is by signing up with monthly financial contributions on Patreon. We have three tiers of support on Patreon, the $2 per month supporter tier, $7 per month patron tier, and the $25 per month producer tier. Each tier comes with different levels of recognition and gifts, including major pain coasters and tote bags made by my mom. Everyone who signs up gains some level of recognition on the podcast and access to monthly bonus episodes with myself and my partner, Andy, that are always so much fun. In fact, we just had one of those come out a couple days ago. Andy is still in recovery from her pituitary adenoma surgery, and I just found out that I won my disability case, and I was able to get a new computer, (laughs) because my computer has been struggling for a little while now. So uh, it's a whole saga of computer problems that I've experienced And in the bonus episode, I talk a lot about issues I've had with the new computer, but I'm very excited to say that I've already worked them out and I'm now becoming more productive than ever, which is so exciting. I had some growing pains. I actually switched from a PC to a Mac for the first time in my life. I really resisted it, but I sort of had to. It's a long story that I tell in the bonus episode involving my audio interface. I also do a lot of video editing and I was really struggling to switch programs for video editing. But since recording that bonus podcast, I've sort of figured some things out and have blasted off with productivity, which is really, really exciting for me. So lots of great stuff, lots of exciting stuff and an update from Andy on her recovery in this month's bonus episode that is available now to everyone on Patreon. I think we're up to 25 bonus episodes. So whenever you sign up on Patreon, you gain access to the whole back catalog as well. And of course, it's an incredible way to directly support the creation of this podcast. I just won my disability case, but my goal is to get off of disability by supporting myself from creating this podcast. That's been my my goal all along, is to find a way to just make this my career and do it indefinitely. And Patreon is the most direct way you can support that dream. So head to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast to sign up. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting this show at the highest tier of $25 per month, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is so appreciated. You can also support this podcast by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. If you have a diagnosis of any kind or you are a caregiver, you qualify to sign up. Use our affiliate link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. And you'll be supporting this podcast while you sign up. I will receive a $10 Amazon gift card from everyone who signs up. You give them a little information about yourself and your diagnosis or whether or not you are a caregiver. And if they have a survey or research study that fits you, they'll contact you. If you participate, you can be paid an average of $120 per hour for your time. Such a cool program that I'm really excited to be a part of. 
That affiliate link is in the description of this episode, or you can head to rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. And of course, another great way to support the show is to leave us a positive rating and review wherever you listen to the show. I keep an eye on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but if you leave us a rating or review anywhere else, take a screenshot, email it to me, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to share that with our audience. This episode of Major Pain is also supported through a creator grant from the Stimpunks Foundation. I am so honored to be the recipient of a grant from the Stimpunks. You can learn all about the Stimpunks at stimpunks.org, or you can actually hear from them directly on this podcast a few episodes back. I actually just saw on TikTok that one of our listeners got a grant from the Stimpunks. They don't just offer creator grants, they also offer mutual aid grants for individuals who are neurodivergent or disabled. And I'm thrilled that somebody found them through this podcast and got their own grant. The Stimpunks are doing amazing work out there, and I'm so appreciative for their support. I'll remind you, as always, that my guest and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our sensational episode with disability healthcare advocate and founder of the Chanda Center for Health, Chanda Hinton. Chanda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and having this conversation with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've read a little bit about you. I know you're doing some amazing work in the uh, disability community. But I don't know much about your story besides what I've you know seen online, so I'm really excited to hear all about it. Uh, but before we get to that, Chanda, let's get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, well, oftentimes when I talk about myself, I think that I wrap in my my work life and my passion, which I think is just naturally just a part of um, what was to come for me. Um, but outside of my work, I am definitely um, an individual that has found a way to enjoy and, and embrace life post having um, an injury when I was nine years old, which we'll probably talk a bit more about. For me, with my limited mobility, there's um, the question about what are your hobbies and what it is that you enjoy about your life and obviously my work and my impact in community, but definitely love being with family and friends and just being a part of nature in whatever capacity that's possible, right? For me, connection to human and really meaningful conversations has really brought me the most uh, joy. So that's mm. a little bit about myself. I have a service dog that's also my my sweet boy. Um, and you'll get to know more as we keep the conversation going. Yeah, amazing. And I love what you said about conversation because we're about to have one. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, injury when you were nine years old. So let's get into this. Let's learn more about you. So Chanda, what is your major pain? I would say that my major pain has evolved. So that's a very trick question in the sense of (laughs) um, back in the day, there originally was pain as it resulted from my spinal cord injury when I was injured at nine. So all the various things that would come up, which turned to chronic. And, you know, since then being able to really work through that, my pain is not so much that old pain, but rather the anxiety of old pain returning Mm. or just new pain being there. So I have have a very extensive relationship with pain, Mm. which was why I was so excited for this podcast, because I think it's such a critical conversation for folks with long-term disabilities, chronic illnesses, is that 
our relationship to pain and all of the all the ways in which it's connected from physical, mental, emotional, like psychological, like it is something that is like almost, in my opinion, is not been something that we've mastered um, the art of. So my pain as it is today is just aging with my with my um, spinal cord injury and keeping wraps on my anxiety as it relates to pain from from the past. That's wow. scary to come back. Wow. Well said. Uh, absolutely fascinating and so true. I, I love what you're saying about how our pain grows with us. Those of us mm -hmm. who experience chronic pain will know what you're talking about, about how, you know, there's this pain that lives in your body. And as you get older, it changes and your relationship to it changes. And if you don't do some of the mental gymnastics to figure out how to live with it in the most productive way possible, it can be extremely difficult to live with. But there are ways to kind of learn how to embrace it in some ways and sort of make friends with it and make a space for it within your body because oftentimes we have no choice. So that relationship is a lifelong companionship and it's one that we don't choose. So how do you learn to love that pain because it's a part of you? It's, it's very, very complicated. Well, it's such an oxymoron. Like, yeah, like being friends with your pain mm. and developing that relationship is like, like you said, it's not a choice. It's not something that we wanted. It's not like, but I think the only way is through it, right? So yeah. oftentimes we as humans want to go around our pain, but rather through the pain is really where we get to be um, innovative with what are practical options that live in the world for us to have that, but what is some of that own internal work that we have to do that we only ourselves going through it will will make that difference, right? Because mm. we can take all of the outside resources that are available, but yet there is a piece in which we have to unfortunately take a level of self-responsibility, which often is hard to hear even for myself, right? Yeah. To be like, <laughs> so, so it, I mean, I again, I love this conversation because I am a nerd for this conversation in the sense that I have gone through lots of um, philosophical inter conversations with myself about this very topic. So um, when I heard about the podcast, I just was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, fascinating. I mean, taking responsibility for your pain is a fascinating way of, of approaching that because when it first started for me, I was like, this is the last thing I want. And I, I don't want to mm -hmm. have to deal with this. This isn't fair. You know, I want to just live my life normally and forget about this. And I tried for a while, but it just doesn't work. And at a certain point, I did have to kind of take responsibility and say, I got to do whatever my body is telling me I have to do to try to minimize this. And that's so unfair. And that took a lot of, you know, mental gymnastics to even make that choice. But it's, it is the better choice for me. And it has made a huge difference in the long run. And, you know, I still live with pain, but I make choices every day about what I eat, about what I put in my body, about the activities that I do or don't do to try to minimize that and give myself the most productive life possible. And it is taking responsibility for something that that I didn't choose. It's it's like this arranged marriage that I didn't choose, but it's a lifelong companion. Yeah. And 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 I like how when we say that too, it's not in any way dismissing the fact that um there are going to be folks that are like, well, I don't want to um, you know, do that work, right? I don't, because of that, that struggle that we have with like, wait a second, why should I 
Why do I have to take self-responsibility for my pain when, again, there's all of these undoed things that happen to our bodies through trauma, through various things, right? That we don't, we, we don't get to choose. We don't get to guide support. But I, I do say that taking self-responsibility with a level of also not dismissing the reality that it's not easy to yeah. do that. It doesn't mean that um, taking self-responsibility is not like, it's not making you at fault for what it is. It's mm. just knowing that in order to get through it. And, and the reason why I say that is because I think that in the world of pain and how we've had to navigate through it, there's been so much, there's so much medical gaslighting around pain <laughs> in the sense that, um, you, you know, it's all in your head yeah. or, you know, it start, it, it, well, if it's in your head, it's going to manifest in your body. And it's like, there, there's a web in which the way that pain communicates depending on where it begins. And so I, I say that and I, and I, 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 I think it's so important to say that because I know that those that are in their first beginning relationships with their pain, I I know where they're at, right? You and I know where they're they're at. They're just beginning. They're dating. They're they're, they're just dating, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's exhausting. And so sometimes when I have pain, I have to also step back and be like, you know what? I am so regimented. I am so good at about managing and dealing with my relationship with pain, um, that if today I'm exhausted, I'm going to be okay with something that maybe isn't the most beautiful way to deal with it. But guess what? It's so severe that I'm going to just be okay with the fact that I have to address it in a way that I normally wouldn't, but that in order just to take the edge off, I've got to be mindful about where, like, where's my battle for the day. Right. Mm. And so that, I mean, that can obviously go into a lot of other, like, how are we addressing our pain, which there's a long line of like, from meditation to breathing, to exercise, to to diet, to meditation. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's, that spectrum is pretty significant and we can judge ourselves based on what we choose from that spectrum. Wow. You're absolutely speaking my language right now. And I love what you said about fault too. Like, Taking responsibility, not meaning that it's your fault, because there's so much, not just medical gaslighting, but self-gaslighting that goes on when Mm -hmm. our health situations are affecting the people that we love. It feels like our fault. But again, that's not our choice. You know, I had a huge shift in my thinking about this a couple of years back, inspired by my dog who, you know, can't talk to me, but I love so much. And he, you know, he's passed now, but he lived to be 17 and... In the last year, he was in a lot of pain. And I could tell. He was telling me, even though he can't talk. And Mm -hmm. I learned how to interpret what he was telling me. And I loved him so much that I would just do whatever I could figure out to do to try to alleviate that pain for him. And I had this moment of realization of, I don't do that for myself. You know, my body can't speak to me, but it is telling me what to do. And I'm ignoring Mm -hmm. it because I'm mad that it's in pain. And it, it was all about that, you know accepting that I didn't choose this, it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility because it's my Mm -hmm. body. And learning how to take that on is a challenge of, you know, can I love my body the way that I love my dog and do for my body what it's asking me to do with the same selfless love that I give to my dog? And Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was, you know, this really bizarre moment for me when I had that realization, but it's made a huge difference since then in my mindset. Absolutely. And it's very much that mind-body connection, right? Like Mm. oftentimes I think that as a woman with paralysis, um, I, you know, I see people walking around, um, you know, or just being in the world with no connection 
to their bodies. They're very disconnected, right? And so upon my injury, and I, I see it in some other folks is, um, that are participants that we serve, that oftentimes when you have an injury, there's one or two things that happen. You either actually connect with your body deeper because you now have these elements that just like, you do, again, goes back to that. You don't have a choice to ignore it, right? Mm. Um, but I do think that then there are a few that actually disconnect from it further, right? Mm. And which is just, it's not beneficial because the further that you disconnect, we all disconnect from our bodies, the worse that it gets, right? And so I think that I love how you talked about that in the sense of it's really creating that bi- that mind-body connection and really being in connection to your body and not distancing yourself. Because I can even see some of us with pain being angry with our bodies, right? And oh, it's like, yeah. oh my goodness, then that thought of being angry with our bodies, it's just this onion layer of like, wow, you've just produced harm to your self-thought and your body. And so oftentimes when my body's in so much pain, like I do as much as I can to really like let it know that I'm there for it. And just mm-hmm. like, oh goodness, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through so much of this, but you're doing damn good right yeah. now, you know? And so <laughs> just giving a little bit of praise to it. And w- one of the other things that you said with paralysis too, is that oftentimes people we're like, wait, you're paralyzed. You can't feel. I mean, how can you feel pain? And I'm like, oh boy, like that's a that's a very interesting that's a very interesting um, stigma around paralysis and the fact that chronic pain and those can still you know co- coincide. And um, I've always told people that yes, my body can't speak to me, but it communicates to me in such a deep way mm. that I have to listen because if I don't listen to it. Like I, I won't be functioning. I won't be a part of community. I won't be a part of all these things that um, are meaningful in life and make us thrive in the best ways that we can. Absolutely. And that, that's one of those things that is so fascinatingly omnipresent throughout so many different illnesses and disabilities. Like I have a chronic illness and Mm -hmm. so much of what you're saying is resonating with my experience, even though my experience is wildly different from the you know, what is driving this pain in my body. Um, But yeah, I'm so curious to hear more about your story. So what was your injury when you were nine years old? Yeah, so um, when I was nine, I was accidentally shot in the back of the neck between C5, C6. Oh my God. So it severed my, yeah, it's, um, I'm originally from Nebraska. It's a very, um, I mean, I wouldn't say that that's the only state, but very gun recreational. It was definitely not a mass shooting that we see today. Because oftentimes when I tell people, the story that's the first place that we go which is extremely sad but um this was an accident where a young boy picked up a gun discharged and entered the back of my neck so from nine wow. um until i was 21 with my spinal cord injury um i was thrown into the medical model like hey guess what like if you if you didn't want a relationship with healthcare it doesn't matter here it goes right so i was thrown into the medical model where um, I was I, like, here's your spinal cord injury. Here's all the secondary conditions that are going to come with your spinal cord injury. Here's all the medication to address those secondary conditions. Here's your wheelchair. We hope that you have the best life. Mm. Well, the the overutilization of that very rigid, non-proactive, non-preventative model resulted in me getting very, very sick mm. when I was 21. And one of the reasons is because I started having a lot of chronic pain in my chest um, lower abdomen, lower back. So of course this is 2003. I go into my physician and 
you know, from nine until I was 21, like I was okay, but I wasn't vibrant. I wasn't like living my best life. Right. So when I started having that chronic pain at 21, I go into my physician and he's like, oh yeah, with, uh, you know, chronic pain is also known as a secondary condition to your spinal cord injury. And this was at the peak of the opioid epidemic where here's your Percocet, right? So I was introduced to opioid to address my chronic pain. Um, No other conversations about anything other than, oh, that's what it is. Here it is. Go live your life. There was nothing about what do you eat? How are you? How are you moving your body even though you can't? Like who else is moving it for you? And so from there, um, that resulted in me becoming um, bed bound. I was 59 pounds. Um, I had to be hospitalized. I was being fed intravenously with a feeding tube. And so I looked at this kind of weird model where it was like, I was injured. I used the medical model to save my life. Then I used the medical model, which resulted in me needing to use medical intervention to then save my life. And then here I am like, okay, so I'm alive. Thank goodness. But, but what's the next step? Because the next step was like, oh, just go and do what you were doing before. And I was like, absolutely not. Because if I go and do what I was doing before, who's who's to say I'm not going to be back here in five, 10 years? Because that's just a vicious cycle of no addressing the core issue to what was really going on. And so from there, I my sister and I had a conversation about how do we redefine how we're approaching my spinal cord injury, knowing that, yes, had I been walking, I could have still had lymphatic drainage, blood circulation, like the things that my body was doing when it was like this vibrant, physical, you know, moving body. And now I'm paralyzed. I'm not getting those things, but yet I still need them. And how, how do I get those? And so I started doing um, integrative therapies such as acupuncture and massage and chiropractic and physical therapy. And um, that I, I mean, I tell people that I'm on this conversation and I'm still in this world because of my choice to utilize those services. And mm. so, um, and of course the story goes on from there, but, I'll, but I'll stop just to see if there's any, there's any clarifying points to that piece, because that realization for myself and how it became important to be given to others and some systemic level system changes to make sure it was available for others was really then where not only my healthcare took a positive turn, but then my ability to make sure that that was available to others and what I've learned about pain from that moment, even into today. (laughs) Wow. Oh my God. This is so fascinating. I'm with you a a thousand percent that, you know, taking care of our bodies, we do need an integrative approach, you know, movement of some kind body care of some kind. I've had, you know, miraculous things happen to my body from chiropractic care in particular. You know, I'm a huge fan of chiropractic care. I was just talking to another guest about this, how a good chiropractor, it can be like magic and a bad chiropractor, it can be just like horrendous and it can like really send you down a bad path. So, it's so important who you see. I think the same is absolutely true of, of, you know, acupuncture and massage for sure. Mm -hmm. These things are all arts and they require the right practitioner, but in the right hands, they can provide, you know, incredible, not just relief, but prevention to keep your body functioning as well as possible. I have to ask about your injury. That is an astonishing story, one that I've never heard anything like before. I mean, you're nine years old, and this is obviously an accident that happens, a gun discharge in the hands of another young young boy. 
is this someone that you have talked to? I mean, how do you get over something like that? Yeah. And this, and this kind of goes back to like the, the layers and the different types of pain that we're going to encounter. Right. So the physical pain, the emotional. And so, you know, I had a lot of psychological or, you know, mental and emotional pain around this as it related to that particular individual. And so, um, and again, there's a piece of me that sometimes when I, when I speak and I share, there's a level to which like, who, who, who the hell are you, Chanda? Because (laughs) sometimes like the, the things that I do and the things that I say, it's like, sometimes I'm not even sure that I'm like within that within that body. But it's interesting because um, I knew that every time I got really, really sick or had a lot of pain, of course, I went directly to this level of massive anger for this human, right? Mm. And I knew that that was not causing any resolution to that given moment or knowing that the next moment it came again, that not only would I be dealing with something that was very directly happening to my body and pain, but rather it was bringing this whole level of anger out in me that was making that moment actually worse. And so I set out upon um, the desire to really seek some level of compassion and forgiveness in this individual. And at first it was like, uh, I can do that internally. I don't really have to like connect and like do all these things, but um, I'm a little intense. So I had to connect with the human. <laughs> so I had to connect with them because just, just doing it internally wasn't enough. And so um, I did reach out to him. And we now, as of to this day, um, have a friendship and have a relationship. And that friendship and that relationship is specifically just to be aware of an incident where neither one, like he, he didn't mean to do it. Like I know in the depth of my heart, he didn't mean to do it. So having that moment of connection and hugging and conversation and clarity was really impactful for both of us. And we also set up this like layer that there would be no expectations, meaning like, I don't want you to feel obligated that you have to do anything for me, reach out to me at a specific time or date. It's just that this moment is critical. And however we want to reach out to each other moving forward is how we do that, but not having any expectations because I felt that that level of expectation would create potential future animosity that really didn't need to be there. Because when you kind of clear the air and you feel good about it, like what's the point of creating something more that's going to just like take that moment and and just kind of like squash it. Mm. And so it it was really impactful. And I feel that it, it definitely was a part of, you know, pushing through my trauma and pushing through my pain um, to get me in another place with my pain and my relationship to it. And so we have each other's phone numbers. We'll text each other every once in a while. But when I am in a bad spot, I don't have anger for him, which Mm. was, you know, what I set out to do, it actually worked. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely incredible. I mean, what we're talking about before with chronic pain and these feelings of like fault, this is, this is an extreme situation where there is like a catastrophic accident. Mm -hmm. And how do you move past that on either side of that? You know, recognizing like what, what is the fault in that scenario Mm -hmm. and holding on to that anger, learning how to let it go recognizing that letting go of that anger is a crucial part of healing 
and to have a friendship with this person where I'm, I'm just assuming that his feelings of guilt over what happened must be just so overwhelming. What an amazing step to take. That's so impressive. Yeah, and, 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 and when you do that, when you do that work, you've got to be mindful of like, okay, if I reach out and I'm doing it for myself, but is it going to be beneficial for him or is yeah. it going to bring a level of like, so those are all the, all the things that went back and forth in my mind about like, I'm setting out to do this for the two of us, but is it really going to do that for the two of us? Because it could have, it could have went the other way, right? Like yeah. I could have actually um, caused more level of trauma to him, but I think that we were both in a place where we 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 took time to talk about that, right? We took time to sit there and like me asking questions, like, what's it like literally sitting across the table from me knowing I'm sitting in a wheelchair in front of you as a result of this action that <laughs> wasn't you didn't mean to do, but it happened. And so yeah. talking through that um was was really beneficial because I think for him and there was something that he taught me about the difference between forgiveness and forgetting which is like he told himself that he would never forgive himself and i'm like well if i can forgive you why can't you forgive yourself and that's when he really gave me this level at which that don't take my lack of forgiving of myself as this detriment to my soul or my heart i i have gotten to a place of peace with it but my lack of not forgiving myself is to take accountability wow. for what I did. So he, he took this, he, he spun that to the point where I looked at him. And I said, I'm going to respect that because, you know, there are things that I've done in my life that I've had to take accountability for. And granted, it's not going to eat me alive, but just taking accountability is also is an okay thing to do. And however that terminology lives per yourself, like you just have to be okay with like the terminology people are going to use because when you dive in to the the definition of the terminology that's when there can be a, a time of understanding wow incredible i i'm almost speechless here <laughs> tell me about this time between 9 and 21 Th that is yeah. way too young to go through something this traumatic and to have to begin this journey of like intense self discovery to learn how to live through this and to thrive beyond it, which you've obviously done at this point. But mm -hmm. those years must have been so incredibly difficult when, you know, everyone else your age is going through puberty and having crushes and, and getting drunk for the first time and, you know, going to high school and college and, and living through this period of life that is so trans transformational on its own without going mm -hmm. through such an incredible transformation physically because of this accident. Tell me more about those years. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I've had a lot of discussions with folks about whether injury at a young age versus an adult are um, which one's easier, right? Wow. And I, again, mm. you can already tell I'm a nerd for philosophical conversations <laughs> because that conversation has been really interesting. I think that actually me getting through my injury as a child even though it was much sooner and it was at an age where you definitely should not have to be worrying about the things that you're worrying about growing up in ways you don't want to. Right. I do think that there was a level at which like I got to transition into my and have a relationship with my disability 
in a way that was far, had less, you know, stressors associated to it, like meaning I didn't have a partner, I didn't have children, I didn't have a job, I didn't, there was all, there wasn't all these other expectations, like I was just able to be like, okay, I'm a child, granted, yes, now the burden is heavier on my mom and my family members as it relates to all of those components, but for me, it was like, I really got to take day by day um, with my injury being so, so young. And at the same time, um, I would say that uh, what I've really liked about my, um, I don't know, personality, who I am, is that I didn't really let my disability in a way kind of prevent me from all the things that um, my classmates, my close friends, my that 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 they were going through. I didn't I didn't um, immune myself from that. So yeah, I mean, I, I still dated, I still did all the things that everyone did. It was just in a different way. And it was almost like, it was the only thing that I knew. So it didn't feel different. And it kind of normalized it for a lot of my folks, because I came from a very, very small rural community. So they them in the world today, when they see people um, it, you know, it, that have a spinal cord injury or in a wheelchair, it's like they have a relationship with that in a much deeper way because also see them every once in a while. And so I feel as though there was there there was some beauty in there. Granted, uh, going back, not dismissing the reality that no nine year old, you know, little girl should be going through that. But it it was what it was like. I I had to just wake up every day and see what the day was going to give. And so outside of that, I would say that from nine and until I was 21, like even though I was having to overcome the disability from a mental and emotional place, I was having to, you know, fight with my body. Like I was getting urinary tract infections. I was getting pneumonia all the time. Like I wasn't a healthy child. Like I lived with a lot of sickness, but yet had so much tenacity and so much drive and so much positivity that I think sometimes I even diminished some of those things to the point where I didn't let people see me struggle in the way that as an adult, I'm like, I'm not hiding my struggle. Like this is full on struggle and it's not going to happen today. Right. So there's that, there's that level of maturity that you gain from your pain and your awareness and how you share and communicate that to the people around you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's get to this point in the story where you discover all these integrative techniques and start to see a change in your life. Tell me about that. Yeah. So just as I was getting ready to be discharged from the hospital, um, from that, you know, using medical intervention to save my life, my physician had said, we'll go back and do what you were doing before. And so, um, as we redefined, you know, let's try the acupuncture, the massage, the chiropractic, and this was the this was the pivotal moment to which, um, you know, again, I was when I was growing up, I had levels of pain, but then I went to that chronic pain, right? So here I was, like, saving my life, but still having this level of like that intense chronic pain that landed me there had not fully gone away. So yeah. here I was trying to redefine how I was going to approach my spinal cord injury using integrative therapies while also being present to the fact that the chronic pain would come up so much and so intensely that 
I would do my best to use both of the the medical and the non. I mean, I I I prefer them to not be separate, but they just have to be in terms of the conversation. But I would I would do my best to balance, um, like never going back on opioids. Heck no! But there was other things that I could do, right? And so I was still living with that by while also fighting to make sure that those integrative therapies were going to be available to me at a level at which I could sustain them, not having to pay out of pocket for my entire life, knowing yeah. that if I paid for those things, I was going to be saving the healthcare system dramatic amounts of money for not going to the ER because I felt like my pain, like I was dying every day or um, all these different kind of CAT scans and MRIs and things to be like, well, what's the source of the pain, which they would never find anything. And so it's like, if I can spend money over here for prevention, I'm going to say I'm not having chronic pain with these other than that tiny little ebb and flow where it would come. Whereas if I go back to this model, you're going to be spending lots of money. So um, it, I took it upon myself to go to the Colorado legislative um, body and convince them to have Medicaid because Medicaid is a primary um, you know, coverage for most folks with long-term um, support, you know, support needing support services, long-term disabilities. So I went to the legislative body and I said, let us prove to you that by funding acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic for folks with long-term physical disabilities that have chronic conditions and chronic pain, you will be saving your state dollars a mm. lot of money. And so <laughs> that's what we passed in 2009. Wow. And it still exists of, as of today. And then in 2021, we even expanded it. So it's now the entire state of Colorado and it has up to five, um, you know, disabilities that are wrapped into there. So eventually the whole point is to make sure that that's available for all Medicaid members with chronic conditions so that they can have a proactive and, and preventative life, knowing that um, they, you know, they may not be able to work or do do the things that are going to prevent. Like, I'll never go off of Medicaid, unfortunately, because I have home health care. I have durable medical equipment. I have, but I pay into the system. I'm a full time employee, so it's like, and then there, and then, and then there comes that like whole thing about like. Why do we have to justify mm. why we're on Medicaid versus not? Because people will feel really crappy if they say that they're on Medicaid. And I'm like, don't be proud of the fact that you can get access to a service because there are layers at which that a regular insurance company is not going to support all of the things that you need in order to live. So um, I'll stop there because I, again, I just keep talking and going on forever. Well, I'm <laughs> riveted. This is the, amazing. I mean, you saw a gap in healthcare that made no sense to you, and you recognized that sometimes the only way to make things move in society is through money. <laughs> yes. And you proved to you know the actual legislative body of Colorado, you're like, hey, I can save you money if you do this thing that is actually better for the patient from a patient's perspective. And it happened. I mean, that's incredible by itself. And then to find out that it expanded over a decade later means that it must be successful, that they must be yes. seeing, you know, money saved. Can you give me any details about that? Yeah. So when when we ran the legislation, we also asked them to do a um, with a third party vendor, do a um, evaluation of it. So then that way we would have a third party, not us, not the state saying that, yes, guess what? It's cost effective. And 
um, because I didn't want there to be any arguments between the, the you know, disability community, the advocate community, um, the pain, you know, chronic pain community and the state to say, you know what, let's get our hands off of it and let someone who actually does evaluations get into the weeds of like looking at claims of those that are on the waiver versus those that are not on the, the waiver and, um, you know, asking the questions about are your ERs visits going down? Is your is your use of opioids going down? Because one of the thing the main things when we were presenting the legislation is that I wanted it to be um, ran and guided by consumers. I wanted us as the people that were going to be impacted at the table in front of the legislators, not the providers. I did not want the massage and acupuncture and chiropractors there advocating because then it looked like oh they're just wanting more business. For us, it was like, no, this is our livelihood. This is what's going to, one, keep us alive, keep us healthy, but then save you money. And this third-party entity is going to evaluate that. But also, the biggest piece that I brought up to them is that folks with long-term disabilities, we all know, are living in a level of chronic pain that when they go to their physicians, guess what? If they don't have the option of this waiver to say, guess what? In the state of Colorado, with your long-term disability, you can actually go on a waiver that's going to give you acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic. If they don't have that option to give, the only option they're going to give them is the opioid or nothing. And mm. that's going to then result in an individual going out to the streets and getting street drugs because they can't get the opioid and they're in pain and there's no other options. So I really spoke about the physicians and oftentimes where our physicians based on our healthcare systems, our insurance, where they get pigeonholed in places where Oftentimes they won't recommend things because they know that the person they're telling it to is not going to financially be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that's for all of them. There's there's a there's a lot of there's there's some there's some bad and good there, right? We know that there's definitely um people that don't even when they have the ability to talk about diet and moving, they still should do that. That's that's a given, which they don't sometimes. But I think that you know, I wanted to look at both ends of the pendulum to be like Where's the responsibility that's living within the system that causes the red tape to the physicians? And what do the physicians need so that the consumer was always in the middle, right? To make sure that what are we all doing for the end user and making sure the pain management was being addressed through other options. Yeah, this is the type of progressive thinking that I love, you know, like it's just next level thinking of kind of seeing the problem as a whole. This is something I yeah. wish I was capable of doing of, you know, like seeing the problem as a whole and picking out a specific thing that could make an actual difference for good in every way and then figuring out a way to implement it. Like that's yes. the type of thinking and the type of change that we need. I just remembered something I wanted to ask you more about. Did you say that you were 56 pounds or was that like a fever dream that? <laughs> 15, well, 59. So three, 59. three pounds off. Yes, you were 59, 59 pounds. I know. It like was when so you said that, my, my brain exploded and I couldn't quite process for a second. So, okay, this th that's in like the before time, before you realize that you have to, you know, find ways to move your body or have other people move your body for you. Can you paint a, a, a picture for me of like the type of chronic pain you were experiencing, the before and after of getting into these integrative therapies? Yeah, the 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 before was very much like, um, it, and again, they could never identify. So it was always like, we couldn't tell if it was because um, like I was having severe spasticity because spasticity comes with your 
spinal cord injury, but it was a level to which like, I think too, it was a combination of, okay, there was this pain. I went on the opioids. The opioids then made my digestive absolutely shut down. Mm. So I, there were moments, Jesse, where I literally like, I felt like I was dying. Like I would go into a full on screaming panic attack being like, I, I, I am going to die right now. If somebody doesn't do something like, because it was so intense, the pressure um, in my abdomen, chest, and my lower back, like it was almost as if like when, and I always called them episodes because it wasn't, it wasn't consistent. It was an episode that would come upon my body and I, I couldn't do anything. Like it would, it would tighten my breathing. Like it felt like a bolt, like a a snake was just squeezing me so tight that I couldn't breathe. Right. And that it would start from the feet and it would come up to the head. Right. And so it's kind of like, as it would start down there, you would almost want to do anything that you could to get it to stop before it would get all the way up to here, because then you would just feel as though like your whole body was like going to explode. And it was, it was so scary. It was like the scariest thing that I have ever been. and, And I would say it was scarier than the day that I was shot because the shot <laughs> being shot, like it, it, it was, it's intense, right? So that level of pain, I've been able, there's two ways that I've been able to get rid of that level, which was through the integrative therapies. When I was in the hospital, what they did is they, they got, they got my bowels moving again. Cause again, toxins in your body, like mm. all of that, get that out. Right. Because I think all of our body systems have to function. But I kept telling my doctor, I'm like, the episodes are less, but they're still there. As of today, it like my there might be once every other or every four, like it's very sporadic. But what I've unfortunately had to rely on is the integrative therapies. And while I was hospitalized, I was unfortunately, but again, not no judgmental, even though I want to for myself, right? Is that I I was given a benzo. So that benzo and that anxiety. So now um the only way that I can actually address my pain is if I take a two milligram Ativan. And that's and so I even went, I, I go, okay, so let's step back. Let's have this conversation because everybody's been telling me it's been in my head. Ativan is an anti-anxiety. So now it's making believe that it was in my head when it wasn't in my head. But then I sit in front of pain doctors or other doctors and they're like, well, it it is an anti-anxiety, but it's also a muscle relaxer. So if you have a spinal cord injury and some of it has to do with any severe spasticity, which is causing you some sort of feeling that you can't identify because of your paralysis, it could shoot you into a, a whole nother level of how you're feeling it. And the Ativan may be, yes, addressing the anxiety associated to it, but could be actually relaxing your muscles. Yeah. So it's doing this two-pronged thing. And I'll be honest, Jesse, I've had lots of personal shame around benzos, but mm. I, but, and that goes into this whole conversation of pain, right? Like, so I'm having conversations with like, What's ketamine look like recently? Like I want to, I want to have a con. Like, but again, so I, I hope I answered your question. 
<laughs> yeah, this is just all such, I mean, talk about like a, a tangled web. <laughs> yes, it is. That's why I think pain is so complex. Yeah, I mean, that, that medical gaslighting piece that becomes self-gaslighting when you're told over and yes. over again that this is all in your head, when they have no way of knowing that, they're not in your body, they don't feel what you feel. But I don't know why so many doctors jump to that so fast of of telling you that, this pain that you're experiencing is all in your head. Like when you, when they can't see it, which they can never see it because it's invisible. Um, when they can't see, you know, or, or I, when they can't find anything on your test that is a direct, you know, right, this is yes. what it is. And sometimes yeah. they can, but when they often can't, then they kind of make you feel like it's all in your head and you're making it up, which is so deeply unfair. And then sometimes people go for years or decades feeling that way. They finally find the proof, finally find the reason and then we have to go through this process of unwinding the the belief that started to become internal that it was all in your head, you know, which is yep. so yep. deeply unfair. That's something that I've lived through as well that I'm still kind of processing through. I finally so have I. A, a diagnosis after decades of looking and it's like, okay, now I know that this wasn't in my head. And some days that's like such a relief, but other days I have to remind myself because I keep telling myself that it's not real. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Jesse, the thing is, is I also believe that there's not going to be an endpoint for those of us that are that have you know chronic pain, right? I, I I hate to say that, but it's like I believe that we're always going to have some relationship to pain, and we have to just be aware that we've we've evolved with that relationship and found the best thing that works for us individually, knowing that we're in a very safe we're in a very safe proactive way of doing it, right? That that there's no judgment around those pieces. But I, I you know, because I think that you and I are even still in a place where, oh, goodness, we've been we've been in this relationship with pain for so long. But guess what? We're still navigating and trying to figure it out in the way that best fits us. And as medical and things advance around us, of course, we want to then see what's about that that may be better than maybe what it is that we're doing today. Right. So, again, I don't think it ever ends for us because the conversation outside of us in the various um, different medical communities or um, people that are, you know, taking time to really look at it and investigate pain and where it, where it lives and where it comes from and knowing that it's not, it's like you said, it's not a, it's not a round tumor that you see in it, in something. It, it, it's this, un, it's this invisible, like neurological thing that, that is so, unfindable in ways. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just want to say that too, because I feel as though some people think that, oh my goodness, there's like, where, when am I going to get to the ending of it? And I've embraced the fact that my relationship with pain will be forever evolving. Yeah, totally. Because it also changes you as a person. So then mm -hmm. you're, you're a different person in the future dealing with pain in a different way because Correct. you're, because the pain itself changes your relationship to the world and to yourself, sometimes in good ways. Not always in bad ways, but that still requires a different person that you are then becoming to learn how to manage the pain in, in a way that works in the day, because pain is always in the moment. It's like one of those things that really grounds you in individual moments, you know? <laughs> it's no, such a tangled web. Absolutely. And if two milligrams of Ativan helps your digestion so that you aren't in this like ridiculous, horrible pain... I don't think anyone would judge you for that. I mean, that's, yeah, but, but it's so hard not to judge yourself. And I get it. Correct. I get it. That's the yeah. part, right? That's, that's the part where 
even after all of this vast like relationship and awareness and where that's why I'm like, I'm still in it because I'm still going to see where I will judge myself over something so little, right? So that's why I always feel as though I'm still going to be in this relationship of like how I'm processing and dealing with it in a way that is honoring myself, right? And not being casted upon me based on the judgment of others. And oftentimes I would say my own judgment will come from the quiet judgments that I see of others, right? And so, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. In my 20s, when I had a massive flare-up of this thing that we now know to be MCAS, I was given Ativan and Tramadol (laughs) to take together because they had no idea what was wrong with me. Well, I was real high every time I did it. Let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, right. Because in today's world, they'll be like, do not take those two things together because they're... Oh, it's so interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, right? I was having like really intense muscle spasms. We didn't know why. I was having horrible brain fog, full body pain, and I like could barely function. function. And they just treated the symptoms with those two things and would give me a little bit of relief, mostly by making me so high that I didn't care that my body didn't work, you know? <laughs> Which is the part about how those things can be so addictive because it it it, it checks you out, but then... When that's out, like you're back to this like space of reality. And then and then we know that we can't live in fog forever, right? Because right. that's that's scary for us and the people around us, right? But like, it is tempting, you know? It, oh, I know it is. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, this is a whole thing, you know? <laughs> this is a whole, <laughs> it's a whole, and, a whole other episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we could talk for hours about that. But I, I just got out of using cannabis products, which I used for over six years, pretty much every day because it was all I had. Yeah, that's a very complicated relationship for me now. And it was something that doctors were telling me was safe and okay to use. And my naturopath was really encouraging it. Everyone in my life was really encouraging it. But looking back on it, I recognized that I kind of put myself into a fog for a really long time and it affected my heart rate. That's why I eventually stopped because my heart rate was going up. Although we now, I mean, MCAS can do that as well. But getting on MCAS medication has made so much more of a difference for my pain than cannabis or opiates ever did which is so, yeah. I'm so grateful. I mean, I, it's just like this massive home run breakthrough to finally figure that out. But, yeah. you know, that temptation to kind of fog yourself all the time, that exists for completely healthy, able-bodied people as well. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, even those without, like you just said, without chronic pain, though, that's, you know, because there's other trauma, right? There's other yeah. things that are going on there. Absolutely. And- yeah, emotional yeah. pain is a major pain, 100%. You know, emotional, physical, yeah, mental. I mean, yeah, mental health challenges. I, I always say, like, you know, getting through anything is way harder if you're depressed about it, yeah. <laughs> even just life. Um, so I'm curious to hear some practical tips for other people with spinal cord injuries about the integrative therapies that you use, like chiropractic, acupuncture, massage. What works for you? Yeah. So I always encourage folks with, if, whether it's spinal cord injury or any other, um, you know, neurodiverse, you know, disability that, um, that one, you, you make yourself aware of, of as many options as you can, right? Don't always feel as though there's only one option because it's just not reality. There's multiple. And, you know, doing your research and doing your homework to ensure that 
whatever you're doing at any given time is the right one for you. Because as we know, we evolve and then we find that what worked for us then doesn't work for us now. Um, and really encouraging your being a, a strong self advocate, which I know for all of us, um, you know, we live as humans being self advocates. And then you add layers of pain and um, that just adds this other burden of having to like, well, I already have to, I already have to advocate just to like, you know, get out of bed in the morning with my caregiver. Like, why can't my physician be in relationship with me where we're having, they're, they're the ones that are advocating equally for me as myself. And unfortunately, that's just not the system that we, we live in. And so I really encourage them to, you know, have, you know, strong and advocate level um, conversations with their providers about, hey, what are some other options other than just this very narrow way? Um, when I talk about integrative therapies with folks, I always say that don't just try one of them and assume that it's going to be this miraculous change. Um, for me, I was in such a really um, bad place that my one acupuncture session, I came out of it being pain-free for the first time. And like three, five years. And so that was a very dramatic shift for me. But my body, just as it's very receptive to pain, it's equally receptive to things that stop pain. And that's the beauty of having a body that's receptive is that it's a beauty and a curse is because <laughs> I can get levels of pain just as impactful as levels of not being in pain. And so I tell people that they can't just try one of them. It's a very ongoing type of service. You've got to, when you're living with a long-term physical disability, it, it you sustain your wellness. You cannot just say, I'm going to be doing five weeks of massage and assume that the rest of your life is good to go. Like this is a continuum level of service and care that you do for yourself, which again was one of the reasons why I fought so much to ensure that it was covered because I didn't, there was not one person that was going to be able to sustain that financially for the majority of their lives, knowing that there was all of these additional costs living with a disability. And um, I also tell folks that different services do things to different people, meaning me, uh, acupuncture is very much about my internal organs, whereas massage is very much about my circulation and my stretching, whereas, you know, chiropractic is very much about like my structural, right? And so I look at all of them as being very specifically different types of service that address my body in different ways. So I would never one say that one is more important or better than the other because they do something uniquely different for my body, my wellness and my pain um, that the other ones, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't substitute one for the other. It just doesn't work that way with my body. Yeah. Um, so those are the things that I would encourage folks with spinal cord injuries and just disabilities, chronic conditions in general. This is not just about folks with like, you know, severe levels of, you know, physical disability that result in all of that. Like this is just for us as humans in general. Like these are, those are, those are tips that should go um, for anyone. And even though I'm a disability advocate, I often say that the model and the recommendations and the feedback I have for people is that, yes, while I'm fighting every day for the complexity of disability, it's setting up a model that is what I believe is true healthcare reform and how we all should be treated in the healthcare system. Wow. Tell me about your pain anxiety. This is something you mentioned early on about part mm -hmm. of your evolving relationship with pain is 
the anxiety around it coming back. Yes. So, you know, where I am today, remember, I still have a little bit of an episode, but they're not as intense as before. But even that tiny episode that comes on, it will shoot me into this high level of anxiety because my mind is remembering the intensity from way back before. And I never, ever want to experience that again. So I instantly go into this fight or flight space, right? Where it's like, oh my goodness, I've got to, I've got to get to my Ativan right away to get to it before it even like gets remotely there. And sometimes I've even had conversations to where when it would start, did you let it get a little bit intense to know whether it was really an episode or did you perceive the episode? (laughs) And so again, those are all of those. And I'm like, it could have been a perceived or it could have been real, but because I'm so scared of having that intensity back, I don't care. I'm going to take it even if it's perceived or not perceived, meaning that there are times because they would ask you, like, how far do you let let it get before you take the the two milligram, um, you know, Ativan? And I'm like, well, I don't let it get far because it was so scary for me that I don't ever want to be there again. Yeah, totally. And it's just another web in this, you know, ridiculous spider web of living through something like this, of just having to learn how to make these choices and how to manage the anxiety that comes with the choices. Yeah. As I'm going through the process of, you know, my, my pain as it was then my anxiety to pain of it then, and then actually having real pain today. Right. Like, so as I talk you to talk with you today, it's like, yeah, I have some lower back, you know, kind of pain going on today, pretty discomfort. It's not the old pain though. Hmm. I can tell the difference between the old and what's just kind of like, (laughs) Aging. And so, you know, I always look at these three different buckets. There's the old pain, there's the anxiety of the old pain, and then there's like real physical pain just from mm. aging as a spinal cord injury. And so, you know, when I talk about this with folks, they're just like, I know I have enough awareness of my body and a deep relationship with my body to know the difference between all three of those and what I have to do to ensure that I'm keeping myself safe and kind of, you know, exploring other things to see if I can kind of do some reset and do some, you know, newer things that are down the pipeline. Because yeah, when, when, when medical marijuana, when THC, all that kind of stuff came out, it was very, okay, let's try it. That didn't really work for me. Um, It sometimes caused more anxiety, but now we're into this whole nother level of utilizing, you know, other medicine to do some reset. And so I've always just been trying to kind of watch things as they evolve and, you know, then finding out, but what if by the time I do this, they're finding something new and saying that what I tried here was not as good as what this is. So it's like (laughs) that ever, that ever evolving kind of like that linear model of like how we learn um, about addressing pain in, in society and community. Yeah. Tell me about your foundation. Yeah. So uh, here at the, with all that systemic level work, what I did is um, I realized that in addition to getting those services available to folks through Medicaid, there were very few um, providers that were comfortable working with folks with disabilities. And so we started um, what's called the Chanda Center for Health. It's here in Lakewood, Colorado. It's, you know, a a, a 6,000 square foot facility where folks with disabilities come and they get disability competent healthcare 
But when they come here, it's, it's a very therapeutic space in the sense that I wanted to be very trauma informed. I didn't want them showing up in a place that was white and sterile and triggering to, you know, the trauma from their injury, the trauma from any, you know, chronic pain that they had that then landed in them, it landed them in the hospital. So very, it's very therapeutic, very um, physically um, accessible all the way from the parking lot into the treatment rooms and back. So we can reduce those barriers that oftentimes with folks with disabilities, when they run into barriers and if they're having a bad day and they get out of their car, but they can't get through the front door because there's no automated button or they get inside and there's a high desk and the person behind them doesn't even recognize them for 15 minutes. It's like, who wants to go go somewhere <laughs> where it feels like that? Like who people are going to run away from healthcare if that's what healthcare feels like. And so trauma-informed, accessible, um, making people feel seen, redefining the way that we address long-term disability and educating our staff and providers that um, you, you know how to transfer them. Like there's no, like our staff embraces disability um, to the point that people, when they come through the door, it's like, you were meant to be here. Like, I mean, we're, we're all like, we're either wheeling around or like, but you know, just, just that level of giving them the ability to just breathe and know that they can be taken care of and we'll transfer them onto the treatment table and we'll make sure that if their urine get bag gets full during massage, no big deal. We're going to go get the urinal and we're going to empty your urine bag. It's just like, we want to break down those barriers to make people feel seen and respected in healthcare and get the services they deserve. Yeah. Incredible. How do people get involved in this? I mean, what you did in Colorado is sensational and you've got my imagination going here. I mean, for people in other states who want to do something similar, who maybe want to change the way that Medicaid works in their state, using your model as proof that it works. What, where do we even start? Yeah, I, I tell people that what I did, what we did, like if I can do it, anybody can do it. I promise you, I knew nothing about the legislative body. And now I know everything, but it just took me time to sit with it and learn. And so I always encourage people that everyone is capable of doing this in their own state, that we we are a model that you can replicate. Like we are we we are here for technical assistance. So if another advocate group from Texas reached out to us and said, we want to do this underneath Texas Medicaid, how do we do it? Okay, well, guess what? There's a playbook and we're also here as technical assistance to support you in that process. So we can give you the strategies of how to ensure that individuals are getting what they need in order to create change because it seems daunting, but I can guarantee it is absolutely feasible because I did not know anything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I have one more question for you. If you could go back in time, if we could time travel and you could meet nine-year-old you the day before this accident is going to change your entire life. You know, obviously, the only way to process that is to live through it. But if there was one piece of information that you could give to young you that you think might impact you in a positive way, what would it be? Wow, just that's a, such a thoughtful question. And at first, almost made you, you know, made you want to like cry a little bit mm. because it's like, I. I love that little nine-year-old girl. Like I love her so much. And I, I honestly feel so, so um, 
sad for her at times. And so, and I'm also grateful for her because um, who I am today is because of the strong will that, that she had. Right. And I, and it's weird to be talking about her separately from who I am today, but um, I think in the very beginning, it was always like letting her know that there would be an end result to all the trauma and pain that like if if she could have seen what was going to come ahead of her it may have made those really dark scary moments um a little bit lighter in that moment if that makes sense so I feel like that's what I would tell her you know or be able to gift her that ability to kind of look into a crystal ball and know what would be to come because um it was it was really scary it was really dark at times it was kind of like you know, they, they told my mom to put me in a nursing home and that was in 91. Like my mom's like, I'm not putting in our nursing home. Like we're going home and I'm going to take care of her at home. And so, um, you know, that just brings light to this like whole thought and understanding around disability and how like you're going to be perceived by others that other, like how you never perceived yourself. Like you would just when we would go out for outings, and I'm going on kind of like a rabbit hole, but when we'd go out for outings and rehab, like people would stare at me and I'd just be like, mom, like, I don't know what's going on. Well, she flipped the script, which is probably where I got a lot of my own flipping the script. But she's like, just pretend like you're famous. And I was like, oh, oh that's awesome. So I just <laughs> pretended like, I just pretended she's like, but they are way too scared to ask for your autograph. And I was like, that is so brilliant, mom. Like, so I think. So I think just having um, a good social network and forecast or, you know, like, I think that would have been helpful for her. I think that that's, um, but again, like you said, you got to go through it in order to be where you are today, even though it's shitty. That that sounds like you don't want to do that. Right. But I think that, I think that that's just the reality of it. And I've re- I have really enjoyed this conversation. I Me thank too. you for do, do thank you for doing this. Thank you for talking about pain with different people so that we can all just be aware and embracing and kind and um I just re- I just am really grateful. Thank you so much. You are such a rock star in the disability advocate world. I'm so impressed and you're also a living embodiment of something that I think is one of the core messages of this podcast, which is that you can have a chronic illness or a disability and live a full, rich, productive, happy life. You know, those Mm -hmm. things do not exclude each other. And sometimes the challenges that you face, you know, and you're also a living embodiment of this, the challenges you face change you in ways that sometimes give you an outlook on life that might even help you to be happy, you know, kind mm-hmm. of. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, give you ways to like process through these things that are blocking your own happiness that you wouldn't learn how to process through otherwise. Yep. 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 You got tools that you didn't know that you needed, but now you have them. And it's like, yeah, it's, there's a beauty to it. Like you said, and then there's the, like, it's okay to, cause I also love the darkness in the sense of like, <laughs> we learn a lot from our own darkness. Right. Mm which I think is kind of what you were alluding to a bit too, where it's like we learn from overcoming the darkness. And I oftentimes feel like oftentimes a lot of interperspective can happen in the darkness too. And so many people want to push that away. And it's more talking about going through the darkness rather than around it. Yeah. Well, you know, I said that was my last question, but I have to ask, 
with the journey that you've been on, if you could go back in time and like in a science fiction movie and bump that person with the gun so that that shot would miss you, is that a choice that you would make? I just saw, I just like visualized a cartoon where I'm just like, boop, like b- bumping him away. <laughs> um, I, you know, that's, that's such a good question. And I've, I've pondered it myself. I think that, um, you know, I've talked about it with my partner before and he's even said like, uh, cause I, I said, well, had I not gone down these paths, like these things wouldn't exist. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have met you because I met you through this way. And he's like, yeah, but I think that you, but you still would have been okay. And I'm all like, and so it, it's a very, it's a very challenging question because I'm so happy and so proud of all the work that we've done as an organization and the impact that we've had on humans' lives. So in order for that to exist, did that need to happen? Yes. Then I would say, well, I don't know if I'd want to bump him, but then I asked myself, well, could this, this wouldn't have, yeah, this wouldn't have existed otherwise. So it's a very, it's a very cumbersome question because I've spent so much time thinking about it from different perspectives yeah. right because yeah and there um, doesn't need to be an answer you know i mean yeah. just just the 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 conflict that you just described thinking about it is fascinating and if that is the answer yeah. then that is a very legit answer <laughs> yeah because because i would say before when people would ask me that i i there had been times when i'm like i wouldn't change a thing and then yeah. I, and i'm like well wait a second was that like this optimistic pollyanna view of of it kind mm. of thing where where I feel a little bit like had it gone either way, I would have figured it out, right? I I just know that I am grateful for what I have and I am grateful for the people that I connect with. And um, I definitely am a person that believes things happen for a reason, even though often that is hard to hear from from others. But for me, it, it's it gives it gives me the ability to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Mm. So, wow. Whatever, whatever I have to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am grateful that you came on this podcast because this has been, I I don't even have words for it. This has been so great. I mean, absolutely incredible. Definitely a highlight of the podcast for me talking to you today. I'm so glad that, that we were connected and that we were able to have this conversation because this has been, Absolutely fantastic. You know, I've been doing this for years now, and I, the excitement that I get for a conversation like this has only grown, you know, to, to get yeah. to hear your story and to share it is absolutely thrilling for me. Please tell us where we can go to connect with you online with your foundation, any social media you'd like to share. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our we, have a, we obviously have our website, the chandacenter.org, but we have all social media from Facebook to Twitter. So any of those handles of um, we're in the transition of going from Chanda Plan Foundation to Chanda Center. So just bear with us because we'll be out there. Most of our handles are, you know, at and then the Chanda uh, Plan Foundation. Uh, and I just encourage people to check us out from a place of maybe there was something that you wanted to get involved in and there's something that you want to help grow or simply if it's something where you as an individual have been wanting to find information on how to address your own pain or your pain as it relates to your disability or as it relates to anything, right? Because we know that it, it can be related to all that, that you just check us out and that you let us be of 
support or resource in whatever way um, that that means for you. Awesome. And I'll put a link to your website in the show notes of this episode. Chanda, thank you again for coming on the podcast. This has been an absolute joy. I am thrilled to share your story. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.